Man, so good to, to see you this morning. Uh, some of you would be glad to see that I remembered uh, my wash rag. Um, if you're new here, uh, I don't need a rag because I'm a, a, like a hollerer or any of that stuff. I'm just sweaty, all right? And so uh, we're going to get over that at some point. The Lord's going to fix it, I think, uh, in eternity if not here. But anyway, um, don't know why I started with that either, so my bad. Um, my name's Jason. If I hadn't had the chance to meet you, I'm so glad that you would join us for worship here at Dublin Bible Church. And uh, for all of us, I know that it, it's a decision to wake up and come and, and pursue God's presence together as a church. And so, so thankful that you would trust us with your time, trust us to encourage your faith and uh, be here with us today. We're going to look in just a minute at uh, Luke chapter 19. So if you want to go ahead and be turning there, Luke chapter 19. Um, as you're turning there, a couple of things. One thing I want to ask you to do, uh, if you are a member of Dublin Bible Church or you're a, a committed uh, part of this church, um, I want to ask you to please, please let me know how I can pray for you. Uh, as I can best understand the, the role of pastors that's painted out in Scripture, uh, a, a significant portion of that should be that I pray for you, right? And so I'm going to do that one way or another, but what I would love is if you would let me know how I can pray for you and how that time can be most beneficial. And so you can do that if you want to uh, use your camera app. You can take your phone out right now, right? You could even act like you're taking a picture of this and you could crush some candy. I wouldn't know the difference, all right? But but take a picture of that right now. Put, put that up. Uh, you can fill out a form. Let me know how I can pray. If you use that link or you can also get to it from our website under the connect tab, that's only going to go straight to me. So nobody else is going to see uh, those prayer requests. Your confidence is safe with me. Uh, but let me know how I can pray for you. If, you. if that's not your deal, then you can email me, Jason, at DublinBibleChurch.com. You can write a prayer request uh, on the little card that hopefully you got when you came in the door. Let me know how I can pray for you. And, and I want to say this. I want to pray for anybody, so feel free. But if you're a committed part of this church, I'm, I'm urging you. I'm actually close to pleading with you only because I don't think it's proper for me to command you. right? But I'm asking you as your pastor, let me know how I can pray for you. Can we do that? Didn't sound confident? Okay, we're going to be talking about that for weeks, I can tell. Anyway, um, so uh, a few years back, uh, I believe it was around uh, the end of the 90s, maybe 97, 98, uh, a, a new technology was making its way into the market, and that technology was called high definition. Have you heard anybody say high definition in a long time? I haven't. Maybe you talk about it all the time. I'll tell you what I really haven't heard anybody say in a long time is standard definition. Right? So, some of you don't recall this, but there was a time when HD, as the cool kids called it, high definition, it, it was the newest thing. And to have an HD TV was going to cost you like triple what it was going to cost to have just the standard definition TV. And, and the picture was going to be so much better, but they didn't even have all the shows in high definition. It was like you got one out of every nine or ten shows might be in, in HD, and you'd be really excited about it. And so for a long time, I, I fought it, probably just because I'm cheap, and I just, I'm just going to watch my, my normal TV. I'm just going to go with this. I had been blessed with a broken yet really large uh, standard tube television. I was like, I, I like the big TV. I can see it fine from my chair. We were living in our first house. It was kind of petite. And so I was like, I'm, it's high definition right now. I'm right here. Right? I don't need to do all that. Well, I remember our, our TV finally broke for good, and it was time to get a new one. And so 
we, we got a, an HD TV for the first time. And then, of course, you know, it's not enough just to have the HD TV because that doesn't really do you any good unless you also pay extra for the HD service, which now is just known as cable. Right? But, <laughs> but back then, you had to pay extra. And so I called and I had it set up. And the guy came, installed it at my house. And man, I, I was so excited, really, at this point because I'm like, I'm doing it. I was mostly interested in watching sports in high definition. And so I acted cool about it. But I mean, the second the guy walked out the door, the technician walked to his van, he probably didn't make it to the door and I had the remote and was like figuring out how do I get on ESPN and, and I had ESPN 1 I had ESPN 2 I think back in that day I may have an ESPN the Ocho whatever that was I don't know if you know we can talk later but but I had sports channels I found some sports they were showing a basketball rerun and I was so pumped and then I sat there and was like I don't think it looks any different <laughs> The high definition looks a whole lot like the standard definition. And so I found the other ESPN channel, and I started looking at some other stuff that weren't sports. And I'm like, everything I'm seeing looks precisely as it looked before I paid this extra money, and he came and installed this. And so I'll never forget, just this is not important to where we're going today, but just kind of side note, embarrassing moment for me when I called, and they're like, sir, are you watching? I'm, I'm telling them I don't see the HD. And they say, well, what channel are you on? And I remember it was channel 26 was ESPN. And she said, oh, okay, sir, well, this may not make a difference, but try turning the, the tuner over to channel 326. And I turned it on, and it was like, bam, because I was watching a standard definition channel on my HD. It's not going to work that way, right? But, but the moment that I remember specifically, other than feeling like a moron talking to the lady on the phone, I, I wanted to, like, change my voice and be like, hey, this is Joe, Jason's brother. I don't know what he was doing, right? But other than that moment, I, j I just remember that feeling of just disappointment, I had gotten excited about it. I had worked myself up about it, and it was so disappointing. You know the feeling, don't you, when the reality leaves a big, huge gap between what's actually happening and your expectation? You remember toys as a kid? Some of them were as cool as you thought they'd be, and some of them didn't even come close. You remember those little parachute guys? Remember those army men? They had a little plastic parachute on them. Some of the guys were going, yeah, they would work every once in a while, but for the most part, you would climb up somewhere high, like in a tree or on top of your house, maybe, I don't know, and you would throw this guy, and he would just fall straight to the ground. The parachute wouldn't collect any wind. Right? You remember blowing bubbles, right? And sometimes if you had the right kind of one, it would just really knock it out, but at other times, you'd be so excited to blow bubbles and pull it out, and you just, and it just, yeah, like you could have done that without the bubbles, you know? You could have made your own bubbles, uh, maybe you took a kite to the beach if you've tried it and you had it in your head it's going to be this beautiful day and the next thing you know it looked like a tattered sack of garbage on a string just floating around up there. it just wasn't doing what you needed it to do it, it's hard for us right? when what we thought we were going to get it is so far above and beyond what it actually turns out maybe a little more recently for some of us in our lives a little more seriously have you tried a diet recently I haven't that need to we'll do it together right but you committed to the, to the food and the plan and the stuff, and then you were going, this is, not, this is not what I saw that lady say on social media was supposed to happen. I'm doing the same thing she said. This is not the deal. You, you started the workout. It didn't work out. Even worse, right? have you ever tried to walk with Jesus in sincerity and really committed yourself to, I'm going to walk with God in faith, only to feel like, hey, I don't see a whole lot of results. I don't see... Me making effort to walk with God, actually bringing lasting, real change. I don't, I don't see me having any more joy or peace in my life. I don't see me walking away from any of the things that bind me down and make my heart heavy. Maybe even worse than 
that moment and even more concerning for us if we're followers of Jesus is not that we would have that moment of disappointment, but when we reach the point where we don't have it anymore. When we're walking with Jesus and nothing's really shifting and changing and yet we don't really have any sense of expectation remaining. It's just kind of the same old steps and the same old motions and nothing much is changing in us. What do we do with that? Of course, it's God and his goodness and his power that changes us, but God has given us a critical role to play in his work of changing us. As we wrap up our Bible study series this week, we've entitled the same page where we're just focusing on central themes of Scripture and really central themes of the gospel that will help us walk together in faith. If you're here and maybe you're frustrated with God, maybe it's because you've kind of wandered just a little bit from what the Bible talks about in a critical area, and it's caused you to grow frustrated. We want to get on the same page of what the Bible really means. And today we want to see what it is that God has called us to do, to partner with him in becoming more like Jesus. We want to consider what the Bible means when it talks about the word repentance. Sometimes you'll see the word repentance describing this whole idea. Other words, you'll see it as a verb, and it's actually a call, a demand on our lives, which is repent. What does Scripture mean when it talks about repentance? I'll offer you my idea on that as best as I can systematically, comprehensively understand the Bible. Believe that repentance is a God-inspired change of mind, heart, and action. Believe it's a God-inspired change of mind, heart, and action. Repentance is what happens when I see God clearly and accurately, and that understanding of him with my heart prompts me to think differently about myself, about other people, about the world, about my decisions. It causes me to value things differently, and therefore I live and function differently. I believe this is a picture of repentance that we're going to see, I believe, a wonderful picture of today in Luke chapter 19. If you're maybe dusting the dust off of Luke and trying to remember what's going on there, Luke was... A guy who was hired, we know from chapter 1, verse 3 of Luke. We also know it from the beginning of the book of Acts. He was hired, we believe, by a man named Theophilus. He was probably a Roman government leader. And he had hired or commissioned Luke, we believe, to go and research the claims of Jesus, the claims of the gospel, to go talk with eyewitnesses and secondhand witnesses who had heard and seen the things Jesus had supposedly done. Because as a Roman government official, Theophilus probably had a lot of skin in the game. He had a lot to lose if he went all in on following Jesus. He, he might lose some status. He might lose his job, could potentially lose his life even. Who knows? And so we believe he sent this super intelligent doctor named Luke out to research all of this stuff. And what we have of the results are his findings are the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And so Luke has researched these things. He's writing these things down in a very detailed fashion to help us understand what happened in Jesus' life, what happened in his death and his resurrection, so that we might make the same decision that Theophilus is making if we're going to trust Jesus fully with our lives. At the point in the story that we're picking up, Jesus is starting to make his long journey into Jerusalem. He's going there for the last time. He's going to sacrifice his life. That's kind of what's going on as we jump in. Luke 19, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, he, being Jesus... He entered Jericho and was passing through to Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So this guy, Zacchaeus, he's given a a special title, a word that's not used a whole lot in Scripture. It doesn't just say that he's a tax collector. If you've studied the New Testament, you know that tax collectors are kind of given their own category. They're not just normal sinners, no matter how heinous those sinners are. They're, they're given their own category, which is even higher. And so many times you see in Scripture, it says that Jesus hung around with sinners and tax collectors. It's like he hung out with the worst and the worst of the worst. And then we get this term for Zacchaeus, and it says that he was a chief tax collector. Can't say exactly what that means. It probably means that he was a bit of a supervisor. Maybe he was over a whole region of tax collectors and And so he was leading this group of guys who were Jewish and they were oppressing their own people, the Jews, for the Romans. The Roman people would hire these Jewish guys who they knew were greedy, who they knew would want any kind of gain they could get, and they would give military support. They would put soldiers next to them with big swords so that they could enforce the the Roman taxes on their own people and then they could extort from them any amount that they decided to on top of that. They could charge them the correct percentage and then take as much as they could get out of the people for themselves. And so tax collectors were despised. (laughs) They were offensive. You didn't want to be near one. You didn't want to know one. If you were related to one, you probably disowned them. And it says that Zacchaeus was one of those guys, but he must have been really good at it because he was a chief. He was a big dog. He was like a CEO of tax collecting. And it's interesting, it says that he knew that Jesus was coming through. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's coming through a nearby town called Jericho. And he's, well, Jesus is coming through there, and Zacchaeus hears of it. And it says that Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because he was short. So if you've ever been like me and stood at a concert, like, I don't know why I paid all this money. I can't even see the people that I came to listen to. It's miserable, right? Zacchaeus knows that experience. He can't see over the crowd. He's, he's wanting to. And it says that he climbed up in this tree, but I I want you to put special attention on to why it says that he climbed into the tree. It says he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Why? To see him. And it's a subtle, but I believe really impactful, powerful nuance for us to pay attention to that Zacchaeus runs and gets into the tree. This guy of power This guy who can leverage his influence however he wants to. This guy of great wealth. A guy who's known as being hated to the Jews but also seen as powerful and and having a lot of luxury in his life by the people in power. This guy climbs a tree, but he doesn't climb a tree to be seen by Jesus. He climbs a tree to see Jesus. And there's a difference. There's a massive difference. You see... So many times we live our lives as if we have to make every effort to be seen by Jesus. We have to live just so, such that God would accept us or so that we would have the attention of God in a favorable way. If I do these things, then I'm at peace with God and he will like me and he will pay attention to me and he will care for me, maybe even more than he cares for others. We live so many times antithetically to the gospel we live Like we have to be seen by God, like we have to labor for that. But here's a reality of the truth of the grace of our God is that the gospel allows us to live, to see Jesus, to actually just live with our whole motive being, I just want to see Jesus instead of having to live to make an effort to be seen by him. 
We can just live our lives and no longer is there a pressure on us that goes, if I do these things, then he'll acknowledge me. If I do these things, then I'll keep his favor. Instead, we can trust that Jesus has initiated, Jesus has come our way, even when we weren't begging him to while we were yet sinners. He came for us then before there ever wasn't us, before we ever heard his name. He came. And when we understand that that's his heart to come and rescue before we ever wanted rescue, then all of a sudden we're freed by the story of the gospel not to live to get the attention of God because we know that in Christ we already have it. Every moment of every day you wake up in the morning, you're human like me, so I know there are mornings where you wake up and life feels so heavy you don't feel like you can lift your head. You've had those seasons. You may have those days. You believe the truth about God. You would say that God is good. You would say that he's kind, that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he binds up the wounds of the cross. You would say all the right things, but in reality, deep in the core of your heart, you feel left alone. You don't feel like he would pay individual attention to you. What if you could not feel the burden of living your life as if you had to gain the attention of God, but instead you could just live waking up every day knowing that you already have it. So now I can just live to see Jesus. Right. You remember awkward dating years? Remember those? Right. Some of you are like, I'm doing them right now. Right? We've been married for 30 years. We still go on awkward dates. I don't know. Right? Remember that, though? There's like that part where at first you're trying to get the person to notice you, so you're maybe acting different ways than you normally would, or you're doing things bigger than you might usually to get their attention. But then it shifts after a while and you really like this person and enjoy this person. And then you find yourself just making just the weirdest of, of shifts in your schedule. Just the smallest little tweaks just so you can be where they are. Just so you can see them. Jesus has come to us. Jesus is not shy. Jesus is not hiding. Jesus wants us to see him. He says, come and ask, come and knock, come and look for Now, the question is, how will we respond to that? We'll see a couple of responses in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, that being the place where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, when he came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. They said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Briefly, not a main point for today, but I, I do just want to point out to you that it says that Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must come. I must come to your house today. What does that must mean? Why must Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house? Is there some need that Jesus has that can only be fulfilled in Zacchaeus' house? Is he in search for a certain favorite soda that only Zac has at his place? Is he needing some type of care that only Zac can give? Is, is he needing some kind of loneliness in himself fulfilled by Zac? Not at all. When it says that he must, this is not that, that Jesus is forced by some deficiency. Is that Jesus must because he is led by his mission. Jesus' mission is to set captives free from the sin that entangles them both in penalty and in practice every day. 
Jesus' mission is to seek out the ones that society would cast away and be offended by and say, no, listen, I love you. His mission drives him. Says Jesus came and said to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. It reminds me in high school of a buddy of mine named Kyle. Kyle had decided that, that he just all of a sudden fell in love with this girl named Emily. And so he decided, as, as typical country boys might decide to do, that he was going to figure out some way to, to let her know this. And so Kyle had in, in the back of his truck two big speakers and a subwoofer just pounding. And, and so Kyle decided one morning before school he was going to let Emily know. So here's what he does. He's brave. I don't know how smart it is, socially or you know, just with the police, right? But he decides, I'm going to pull up in front of Emily's house. I'm going to roll down the windows. I'm going to honk my horn a few times so that she'll come out. And then I'm going to press play. And when he presses play, what comes out is a little ditty by our good friend, Garth Brooks. It's called Shameless. <laughs> and Garth is belting it out. And he's saying, I'm shameless, shameless as a man can be. He's singing, right? I'm, I'm shameless for you. Nothing's going to change. Somebody clapping for my singing. Come on. Right? That wasn't planned, but we can do more later. All right, anyway. Right? Um, but, he's, but he's belting out this song about how I've never let anybody change the way I think and the way I feel. I've ne- never let that happen before. I've never let anybody change the appearance of toughness that I want to get. And he's going, but I met you, and now I'm shameless. <laughs> now, I don't know that Emily appreciated it as much as Kyle wanted her to. <laughs> right? I think she gave him a, a chance later. I don't know, right? But, but the point is, there was something beating in his chest that he said, I have to do this. Now, he maybe needed to go to a doctor and find out what that was. But there was something going on in him that was going, I am compulsed to make sure that what I am experiencing inside will be known clearly out here to her. This is the heart of Jesus who has seen in heaven before he came to earth the perfection of God. Jesus didn't leave Heaven because he was looking for a better place. He didn't leave heaven because he had to. He wasn't obligated. He left a place where angels bow down and sing his name all day and say how holy he is and everything's about him and it's awesome and it's perfect and he has seen God and yet there's something driving and beating in the heart of Jesus that says, I must come with joy set before me to give my life so that those tattered, torn, and broken by sin can know how deeply I care for them. Zacchaeus hears this and he goes, man, I'm jumping down with joy. He hurries down. Doesn't delay. Doesn't wait and think it through. If Jesus is interested in spending time with him, his answer is absolutely yes. He scurries down. Then we see another response too. We see this this group of people that's just called they. (laughs) They being the, the Jewish elite. They being the religious folks who who really knew all the answers about Scripture, who knew how to live supposedly according to the righteous standard of God. They've been watching Jesus. They've been plotting against Jesus. It says they saw this happen. Jesus approached Zacchaeus, and it says that they, see that in in, in your text, it says they grumbled. (laughs) They grumbled. The word there, the actual root word, it, it has this idea of, that the noise that bees make, like a, a bunch of bees getting stirred up and just, right. I just, 
say this to you today because I hope that as you're hearing about a Jesus who must come encounter you if you're one of his followers and he's going to show you who he is. If you're hearing that and that's sparking something off in your heart and you're going maybe for the first time or maybe with renewed vigor you're going, I want to walk with Jesus. I also want you to hear the truth, which is hard, and and it's this, is that self-righteousness always grumbles when Jesus makes his way towards sinners. If you authentically walk with the Lord of the universe, if you let him move you beyond your own comfort to a place where you're going, Lord, as best I can, I'm going to honor you. I've said to the Lord several times in my life, a handful of times I've prayed this prayer, God, I'm fixing to go do this, so stop me if it's wrong. As best as I know by faith, I'm going to, to do this. I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to say this. I'm going to make this decision. I need you to stop me if I'm wrong because this is a faith thing, God. If, if we're going to walk with God in that kind of way, you need to brace for the impact of the fact that there will be those around us who will grumble. They won't like it that the Savior would step close to somebody just like you. And it may surprise you who some of those people are sometimes. It could be your closest friends. It could be your family. You might even find some some wrestling and stirring in in the self-righteous remnants in your own soul. But if we're going to walk with Jesus, it's not all going to be easy. In fact, the scripture would say that it's going to be harder, yet better, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and yet that he will be with us every step of the way, and his presence is worth anything we'll ever encounter in this world. Self-righteousness will grumble when Jesus goes towards sinners. We'll see how the story finishes out. Verse 8 says this. They're at Zacchaeus' house, and it says, And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. By referring to Zacchaeus as the son of Abraham, Jesus is not just talking about his Jewish ethnicity. He's talking, as we see in multiple places in the New Testament, that it says the true sons of Abraham are the ones who have faith in Jesus alone as their only hope. He's saying he's not just the ethnicity of the chosen people of God, even though those people hate him right now because of his heinous acts towards them. He's not just that. He's a son sincerely in his faith. And what's interesting is that Jesus is saying this as he sees the actions of Zacchaeus, but they're actions that Jesus never directly, we have no record of Jesus looking at Zacchaeus and saying, give away half of everything that you have and restore fourfold everything that you've wrongly taken. We don't have a record of Jesus reminding him of that, telling him of that. We see Zacchaeus, probably aware of Exodus, I believe chapter 22, aware of some Old Testament mandates for this type of obedience, but we don't see Jesus going, you have to do this right this second. Instead, what you see is a glad, willing heart bubbling over, knowing that he's wrong and actively stepping in repentance. He has seen the Savior, and it has inspired in him a different way to think. He doesn't think anymore that money is the end ultimate must-have. He has different values now. 
instead of valuing things so much and comfort so much that he'll oppress people, he's taken much of it and given it away to the point that he went from being wealthy to no longer wealthy. (laughs) His actions are flowing from this change he has had. It's interesting that in just a, a chapter previous, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus makes the statement that it's, it's extremely difficult for a rich person to come to salvation in him. He says it's, it's like trying to thread a camel through the eye of a needle. I don't know if you've ever tried to stick a, a string through the eye of a needle. It's pretty difficult, at least for this guy. And he goes, it's like trying to squeeze a whole camel through one of those. It's impossible. Except with God, impossible things are possible. And we see a picture of one whose life is changed by the grace of Jesus. Can I tell you the truth this morning, church? I'm just going to be honest. I hope it's okay. I didn't sleep much last night. I fell asleep. I had an alarm set for five. It went off before I fell asleep. <laughs> So the responsible, mature thing would be like, let's wake up because it's alarm time, even though I haven't been asleep yet. So is that really waking up? We'll have to talk through that. But, but that would be the mature response. Instead, I hit snooze four or five times, laid there until about 6.15, kind of got a little bit of sleep. This morning, as I got up and walked into the bathroom, began to get ready to come this morning, I looked in the mirror and I saw how much like an absolute zombie I looked like. <laughs> I saw these big, heavy bags under my eyes looking dark. Man, I just looked at myself and I thought, man, you just look defeated, right? You could be the happiest guy in the world, but you look like you just got whipped. And the first thought that crossed my mind, the first thought I had was, I'll go ahead and just put my glasses on and wear my glasses the whole time because then they'll hang down and they'll kind of cover up some of that, right? I felt like I had to hide even just from you. I felt like it's not okay to be the guy who, and listen, have you heard the stories, right? of really godly men and women who can't sleep and then they wrestle with God in prayer and they have these awesome moments. Man, I've had some of those and last night was not that. (laughs) It was just a regular old dude wanting to sleep and not sleeping and being frustrated and getting more worried about the sleep I wasn't getting so that was causing me not to sleep and it's like this cycle and I'm going, I don't know what's happening. Right? It was just one of those, just like you have at your house. Pastor's not super special. And it felt defeating, and I, I was man, struggling in my mind. I hope y'all can handle honesty. Like, how am I going to even be able to put three words together at this point? Much less talk about the king of glory with the kind of precision that he deserves. How's that going to happen? And my first impulse was to hide. Why? Because I felt like, man, I have to present myself. I have to make a presentation, and it has to be just so for it to be okay. Not because of anything you've done. It's just ingrained in me, just like it's ingrained in you to think that if I'm going to present myself to somebody, it's got to be just the way I want it to be. Even if it's not the way they want it to be, it's got to be the way I want it to be. And, And it was just, man, clear as day to me, just feeling this sense from the Lord of like, man, don't put your glasses on, go tell them. Can I just say this to you, that when you see Jesus rightly, you won't respond perfectly all the time. You won't always jump out of bed with just a whistle and a step like the Brady Bunch excited to know Jesus more. That's not going to be your reality, just being honest with you. But can I also tell you that the truth is is that sincere salvation spurs an eagerness for change. 
that when you really truly know Jesus, no longer are you doing because you have to, no longer are you doing because you're obligated, but you're repenting because you've had a God encounter, and that has changed the way you think and feel and value, and therefore the way that you act. We know the right answer, but don't ask your mind. Don't ask your database of, of scripted Christian answers. Ask your experience. When you approached God this week or when you thought of approaching God this week, when you remembered that maybe you need to pray, when you remembered maybe I should let my pastor know how I can pray. I'm just kidding, okay? Right? But you do need to let me know how I can pray. I'm just but right, right, whenever you had God impulses and thought God word this week, I've asked God, hopefully he's going to help us be honest with ourselves. Did that flow out of a desire to see him? More clearly, did that flow out of a desire to honor him because he's been so good to you that you are eager to be changed? Or did it flow out of some sense of presenting yourself? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope I've told you the truth as best I can that, man, we all have the same biggest problem. And it's that before a God who is completely holy and perfect and whose standard for acceptance is complete perfection and righteousness, all of us are absolutely doomed. But then there's Jesus. And Jesus did it perfectly and he did it willingly and he did it with joy set before him for all who would hope in him to experience true, genuine relationship with God, not just a transaction on a salvation ledger from this location to this location for eternity, knowing God. If you're here today, you don't know God that way through a relationship of faith in Jesus. Please do not leave this place without investigating that. Grab a friend, talk to him, come find me. So we're done today, I'd love to talk with you. Nobody wants to manipulate or force anything. We just want to be helpful as you take your next step of faith. Followers of Jesus, what does repentance really look like in our lives? With a bank account, with your time, with your attention, with your relationships. What does repentance really look like? We've heard, like Zacchaeus, what it flows from, this gladness to even be considered by God. But where do we need to flesh it out in our lives? Thankfully, I'm not responsible for that. That's God's work in you to tell you. But would you ask him? And would you be willing to courageously step into what he points you towards in repentance? Not to earn him because you can't, but to honor him because he's loved you. Today we have the opportunity to finish up our gathering together in a special way that we do from time to time. We're going to take communion. And so I'm going to ask AJ and the guys to come up and play. And We're going to sing in just a moment. We're not going to sing because you have to sing at the end of a church service. In fact, we don't sometimes. But we're, we're going to sing because that's going to give us a moment to pause and reflect on what God may be saying to our hearts. Not some crazy guy up front, but what might God be stirring in you? As we take communion, right, I'm not going to preach a second sermon, but it's 
my honor and my duty as a pastor to make sure what we're doing here is clear. This is a remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus, the bread as a symbol of his body torn and broken through pain and his strife, through agony. His back ripped so apart that, that his bones would have been exposed. The, the cup representing his blood shed to cover us, to cover us in forgiveness, to make us righteous before the Father. And so what we do in this moment is we remember what Jesus has done for us and we remember fresh and new our need for it. And in a sense, it's painful to think about what he's done for us. And in another sense, it's absolutely joyful to think that he would do it for us. We remember today our need for him. And we also look forward to the day when we have a feast like no other with him. You've never partied like you're going to party with Jesus. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I believe that. That's why we come today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you in just a moment. As I finish praying, we're going to begin to sing. Don't wait on a prompt or, or an instruction from me. Whenever you're ready, you can come forward and get the elements, and you can take them back with you and take them there at your seat. If you want to take them up here, whatever. If you're a follower of Jesus, do that. But know that Paul would remind us in, in Corinthians to be mindful of what we're doing, to allow the Lord to examine our hearts and not come and take this moment lightly. I believe what he's talking about there is that we would be honest and we wouldn't come into this moment and say to Jesus with our actions how much we're grateful for him and how much we need him when there's known unrepentant sin in our life, stuff we know about and we're not even acting like we're trying to change. Because when we do that, we're just making a mockery of his sacrifice. We're going, thanks, no thanks. It says, don't do that. It's not wise for you. Much rather you sit in a, in a place of honesty today, even as a follower of Jesus, than, than do that, okay? And so consider your heart before the Lord. Hopefully you've had a chance to do that this week if you knew today was coming. Today, if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. Don't want this to be weird for you, right? No pressure on you. Just, just sit. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just sit and watch a bunch of people who maybe even clumsily, who maybe even in a way that feels a little awkward, embrace their need for Jesus. May it be a loud testament to your hearts. How do we need to repent towards this great Savior? Pray with me. God, I thank you for showing me even this morning the path of repentance before me. God, I pray you would help us as your word says, to be led to repentance by a vision of your kindness. And God, I pray that as your word says, we would produce fruit in keeping with repentance, that we wouldn't be people who say the story of how we want to be different and make a commitment with our mouths that we don't strive for with our lives. Lead us, God. Point out into each of our hearts as individuals where it is that we need to not beat around the bush, not coddle a habit that dishonors you, not live in isolation and decisions that dishonor you, God, but instead we need to just step forward and, and say, I commit to honoring my God in this, full well knowing that we may slip and fall again, but we're saying it and we're meaning it we're moving forward towards it. Show us 
God, what does that look like in our lives individually and collectively as a church? Lead us just now to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for your body, for the pain that we can't fathom. Completely escapable by you. And yet you endured it. Thank you. No matter what we don't know about you or understand about you and where things get mixed up, we believe that you have loved us enough to die for us, God in the flesh. Righteous for the unrighteous. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your bloodshed. Father, thank you for seeing us through the covering of that blood, the righteousness of Christ upon us. I pray not that you would just stir up a bunch of emotions in this moment, though we give you our emotions. You're the Lord of those two. I pray that you would be strong in our hearts. Let your whispers be loud as you lead us in how to repent and remind us of your great love. We ask these things for the sake of your name alone. Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and sing. Pray whenever you're ready. Don't wait on a prompt. You can come forward and take these elements. Thank the Lord for what he's done for you.